We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Kagemusha on October 6, 1980. It was written by Masato Ide and Akira Kurosawa, directed by Kurosawa, and released by Toho in Japan and 20th Century Fox in the United States. In American markets, the film was subtitled The Shadow Warrior, which is a literal translation of the Japanese title Kagemusha. The film had the biggest budget ever for a Japanese film at the time. Kurosawa tried to secure funding from Suntory Whiskey by creating advertisements for their product on the sets of the film. Even then, Toho Studios could not afford to complete the film until George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola convinced 20th Century Fox to cover the budget gap. In return, Do we Lucas... know what the budget gap was? No, but it was several million dollars. In return, Lucas and Coppola have EP credits in the international versions, and Fox was granted international distribution rights. This was the first Japanese film to receive a worldwide release from a major American studio. Kurosawa initially cast Shintaro Katsu as Lord Shinjen and his brother Tomisaburo Wakayama as Kagimusha, but Katsu was either fired or quit before the end of the first shoot day when he arrived on set with a full camera crew to record Kurosawa's filmmaking methods for an acting class he was teaching. His brother Wakayama had stepped away first, and Katsu was set to take both roles before dropping from the cast. We'll see Wakayama later this year as Lone Wolf in Shogun Assassin, a re-edit of the first two Lone Wolf and Cub films for American and British markets. Wakayama would star in six Lone Wolf and Cub films over the course of his career. Katsu was the first actor to play Zatoichi the Blind Swordsman on the big screen and portrayed the character in 27 feature films between 1962 and 1989. Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune were no longer on speaking terms, and so his only viable replacement was Tatsuya Nakadai, who accepted the dual roles sight unseen when Kurosawa's predicament was relayed to him. I mean, I think that's a fabulous move. He yes. was great. He really was yeah. great, but you can tell that this was almost written with Mifune in mind. For the character, but he does a great job. I mean, Nakade I is great. I guess I can't tell because I don't know anything about this other guy. But they're very similar actors in terms of the performances they give. I was not disappointed by his performance. No, not at all. He's very, very good. Unfortunately, Nakadai was actually really good friends with the fired actor Katsu, and they did not speak for several years following this incident. The real 16th-century costumes and armor were loaned from Japanese museums for actors to wear in the film. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't understand why they would do that. It's pretty crazy, but I mean, it's like, awesome. I get that he's a well-respected director and we would do lots for him, but why would you loan out one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable pieces? could the Smithsonian pieces? giving Spielberg Lincoln's hat to use for that movie? Because you know he's no. going to be careful with it and it's cr crazily insured or something. But I don't care how much it's insured. It's a one-of-the-kind piece. I mean, I guess if these things are, like, just, like, falling off of shelves because we have 200,000 of them, fine. Maybe, give yeah. give him, you know, 10,000 of them to mm -hmm. do these scenes. But, like, 
I imagine these things are irreplaceable, and I can't imagine there's that many left over. Yeah. I think it's crazy that you would be given the actual, actual stuff from the era in which it came from. And I don't know which costumes exactly or how many of them were loaned, but some were evidently. 200 specially trained horses were flown in from the U.S. Many of the riders were female members of various equestrian organizations whom Kurosawa described as being more daring than most men. This film won BAFTAs for Best Director and Costume Design and the 1980 Palme d'Or, the top prize of the Cannes Film Festival. I wonder if you use women in general because they're just smaller and lighter usually and so when you add all the costumes and stuff like that like it for the would... same reason you use jockeys on horses <laughs> right right like you're, it's, it's probably beneficial to them to if you if you're going to have a horse do a stunt not to have a, a large man on yeah, it. yeah that makes sense other films in competition in can that we've covered so far include the big red one breaker morant and long riders of these four i feel like i might have given it to breaker morant but Maybe Ken has the same problems as the Oscars where you're giving it to Kurosawa because he's overdue for a Palm d'Or. Mm-hmm. Um, this was his only Palm d'Or. We open on Lord Shinjen with his brother Nobu Kato and an unnamed prospective body double. They are all dressed alike and look very similar in a not racist way. They're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> they are all seated and Shinjen seems very impressed with the double. We learn that Nobu Kato has been doubling for his brother for many years, but this man's resemblance is miraculous. His brother found him at the execution grounds, where he was due for crucifixion. Shinjin asked what the charges were that he faced, and Nobu Kato says that he's a thief who may also have killed someone. I didn't realize that crucifixion was a standard practice of execution in Japan. Oh, yeah. Very popular. <laughs> well, uh, since Christianity kind of made its way into Japan... Uh, a little bit before this time and into this time. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, ooh, that's gross. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you nail him to it? Oh, I'm into it. He goes on to say that the resemblance, while obvious to him, likely went unnoticed by anyone else. His hair, his clothes, the way he talked were all so different. Nobu Kato was so impressed with the resemblance that he had to seriously consider whether their father had kept another son's secret from them. Shinjen asked how someone sentenced to crucifixion could possibly make a good double for him, and the double can't help but laugh derisively. He claims only to have stolen a few coins where Shinjin has killed hundreds and conquered the domains of strangers. Shinjin encourages his double to speak openly and agrees that he has done terrible things in the course of his legacy, including banishing his own father and killing his own son, one of at least two sons, as we will come to learn. There's another one. Yeah, I wasn't super clear on that even throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. That he said he killed him, but I wasn't sure if he meant figuratively or literally no. and it, if there was another son. I think he did kill one son. Okay. Shinjin stands to leave and on his way out tells Nobu Kato that the double has spoken boldly and they should begin training. 1573. A messenger, dripping in mud, runs full speed through miles of sleeping soldiers. They're all startled awake as he passes, and he races past multicolored squadrons and corners strewn with what look like human limbs. The messenger is here to tell Lord Shinjin that they've cut off the water supply to the castle. The council around Lord Shinjin predicts that it's only a matter of time before the castle falls, but they will not surrender. Someone mentions that a man on the front lines plays a flute each night, and he plays it well. The men are excited to hear it. Shinjin's son, Katsuyori, interrupts to insist that they let his father know that they've cut the aqueduct. Evidently, the man seated to his left is Shinjin's first double and brother, Nobu Kato, and not Shinjin. Shinjin's top general, Yamagata, 
suspects that sending along a messenger to the real Shinjin would only bring trouble, and we cut immediately to Yamagata acting as messenger. So I think his son was like, oh, yeah, that would be a big deal? Okay, well, do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so Yamagata gets stuck with that duty. Yamagata speaks with Shinjin, but he's not happy to be here. I trust you're in good spirits? No. <laughs> Shinjin shares with Yamagata that he has word from someone named Asakura that he is returning to his fief. Nobunaga's men are tired too. It sounds from the context like Asakura is one of Shinjin's generals and Nobunaga is a rival that they're up against. If Asakura retreats, as he has reported he may this winter, rival Nobunaga will reinforce another rival named Tokugawa Ieyasu and block the path to Kyoto. He says, Asakura's retreat is a treason against me. Yamagata clearly has no qualms talking back to Shinjin because he accuses him here of whining like a five-year-old. He tells him he can't be expected to control an army as big as theirs, and he tells Shinjin to go back to his domain in the mountains and give up on ruling. He tells Shinjin that they've cut the aqueduct, and he supposes that the castle may fall soon. He says if it rains or snows, they might hold out longer, and compliments the garrison leader. He mentions the man they have that plays a flute, and Yamagata prophesizes that if they hear the flute tonight, the garrison will hold, otherwise the castle is doomed. Shinjin insists on being there to hear the flute for himself tonight and asks them to prepare a seat for him. So when he's saying this and he says the garrison will hold, he means his own? No, no, no the enemy. He means the, the enemy. Right, because this is like a representation of their resilience. Yes. yes. Okay. So he wants to come and witness that for himself. Yeah, he mm -hmm. wants to hear firsthand whether or not the garrison will hold. And so he wants to be there to hear the flute if it's going to play. That night the flute is played, suggesting the garrison will hold. And a few seconds into the song, a gunshot rings out. Tokugawa Ieyasu gets word first that Shinjin has been shot by a sniper and mortally wounded. Lord Ieyasu, despite having lost battles to Shinjin, is not pleased by this news. He has great respect for Shinjin as a talented warlord. If he is really dead, it is a great loss. His counsel reminds him that their ally Nobunaga is currently fighting a battle on four sides, and great man or not, it is only natural that they rejoice in Shinjin's misfortune, and they must send word to Lord Nobunaga immediately. Lord Ieyasu suggests that that would be unnecessary, as he likely already knows. In the castle, Nobunaga receives word from a spy that Shinjin was shot and killed, and demands immediate corroboration. He doesn't even believe it when he first yeah, hears it. Yeah, he he's, the, the spy says it's a rumor. It's rumored that he's been injured. Right. Yeah. But it could just as easily be a trick, like false mm -hmm. information that was put out there. And so he benefit. wants, he's like, figure it out. You guys need yeah. to solve this and figure out if this really yeah. happened. Like, why are you even telling me this yeah. until you've looked into it? If it's true that Shinjin is gone, they could march directly to Kyoto fearless. He races his horse in a circle excitedly, <laughs> just around the courtyard. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't actually go anywhere because they're holed up in this castle. Lastly, Lord Kenshin is informed and is similarly humbled by Shinjin's death. He was a truly heroic man. We don't hear a lot from Kenshin over the course of the movie. It's yeah, mostly yeah. Tokugawa and Nobunaga that get the screen time. But there are three people that he's up against for for all of Japan trying yeah. to take it over. Yeah, so th this is part, uh, I, I don't know if you guys know the YouTube video, The History of Japan. Uh, um, <laughs> I am not familiar. Uh, it's, is that one of those like, uh, I'm a piece of garbage, yeah, like the yeah. musical talking guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but also I was doing research, uh, my own little Wikipedia research. And yeah, basically it was like everyone was trying to get to the capital. Yeah. yeah, which Every at the time was Kyoto. Kyoto. It's yeah. Tokyo yeah. now. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, everyone was trying to get to Kyoto. Uh, I was looking at maps, and it had all the clans all over the map, the, yeah. the actual map. I was like, oh, yeah, these are all the, 
These are all the people in this movie. It's historically uh, accurate. <laughs> and wouldn't it be nice to control the capital, which right now is puppets with no one controlling them? This clan is ready to make a run for it. But first, they have to trample this smaller clan, which is in the way. We cut to a wide shot of Shinjen's army retreating at the foot of the castle, and a few men suppose that Shinjin has died until one points to him on the horizon. But this isn't Shinjin, it's Nobukado. We cut back to Shinjin's final requests being made. If he dies, he instructs them not to pursue conquering Kyoto, and also that his death be kept secret for three years. I'm not sure if we ever get a clear idea as to the relevance of three years. Um, I guess because maybe that would be enough time... For his for, heir to take over? Uh, yeah, or or at least enough time for other squabbles to be like settled down. Yeah. But also, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, does he think that they're incapable of pursuing... Without him? Without him? I think so. I guess. I mean, that that doesn't say a lot about him as a leader. He should be, you know, grooming his uh, other people to... But instead, he's too busy killing them. <laughs> he says to sit still and guard our domain, and if you ignore my order and set out to attack, the Takeda clan will be no more. He turns his armrest and strokes his mustache slowly. Ieyasu meets with the sniper responsible for the shot, and the sniper says he saw Shinjin's men setting up a chair during the day, and so he trained his gun on the empty chair, and then he rested the gun in the corner of a window frame and dropped a plumb line to preserve his aim for nightfall. Mm -hmm. And then that night, he waited for the flute, which he assumed Shinjin was there to hear, and took his shot. He didn't know that this would be Shinjin, though. No. He just thought it'd be... Somebody, someone important. Someone of importance. Maybe a general or something. Sure. But also, this is such an overly elaborate way to align the gun. Yeah. And then make sure that it's, like, because it's dark out and, like, you're dropping a plumb line from your from your gun. It just seems like, how about you just set up a tripod and, like, set the gun on it, line it up, and then don't touch it. Yeah, but then if someone's running down this hallway, they're going to knock your gun over. You can't just stand guard with the gun all day. I think you can. <laughs> I, th I think that's all he has to do. <laughs> it might be less work to just do a plumb line, though. Yeah, but I think it's less accurate. Maybe. Well, it seemed pretty worked. accurate to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> he did it twice. Yeah, they ask him to retake the shot now at a small tree a comparable distance away. I can't tell if it's supposed to be in the same spot because it looks like they're inside the castle walls now. Yeah. So maybe this isn't the exact window that he shot from. But uh, he's able to clip this tree directly in half. And everyone on the ground like freaks out. Mm -hmm. Like, why did that tree suddenly explode? <laughs> Who's shooting at us in here? <laughs> While being transported through the hills beside Kyoto in a palanquin or litter, as you informed I me did. it may be called. Uh, Shinjin is set down to speak with Yamagata. At first, he does not respond. And Yamagata is like, ah, fuck. <laughs> and he goes to open the carriage worried but shinjin's there he's he's very weak he's still alive though and when he sees kyoto on the horizon he's temporarily invigorated and tries to stand and shout occupy it fly my flags over the capital it seems he used the last of his strength on this emotional show and the accompanying doctor confirms lord shinjin has just now died immediately after shouting yeah. this and and the general just gives the doctor this really long stare like yeah. you asshole yeah he's just like you can tell he's just like fuck I, I did not want to have to do this today. Like, why couldn't you guys have been looking the other direction? Yeah. I could have figured out if he was dead on my own. Yeah, I I wasn't clear on his his dying words here, if this was a mandate. If to, he's changing his mind about not attacking. To now go and take over the capital. Yeah. Or, or to have followed his words. Or if he was, I, I what I think was happening was he was like hallucinating in yeah. his last moments, which seems to make more sense to me than changing his mind now. Yeah. 
But I don't think it was a command that Yamagata, like, lead the generals to attack. I think it was just like a, oh, there's the thing I wanted my whole life. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Uh, but then he dies here. And Yamagata just looks back and forth at the two witnesses of Shinjin's death. And if I were this doctor, I would just book it immediately into the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> just start running full speed down the hill away from them. We pan across the fire and forest and wind armies on the march. Uh, the fire army has red flags, the forest army has green flags, and the wind army has blue flags. Can we talk a little bit about how stupid putting flags on Giant the back of your flags? soldiers seems? Well, you want to make sure that the gunmen know where you well, are. Well, yeah, so they don't just make sure that you. they can hit you from really far away <laughs> yeah. and that, like, everybody knows exactly how your ranks are moving amongst each yeah. other and, like, we, there's no stealthiness here. Yeah. So, are those men behind those bushes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, those are those are the forest people, um, so I can't see them. But there's the no, other two guys, I can yeah, see. Yeah, there's no Burnham would come to Dunsinane like trickery here. Yeah. There's just giant flags saying, look at us, here we are! Yep, <laughs> I'm with Stupid with an arrow pointing down. That night, Katsuyori speaks with Lord Shinjin's council and Nobukado about his father's last wishes. He doesn't think Nobukado can double for his father up close, that he can. he's been able to fool people in the past, but he can't fool their own troops because they'll see the difference and three years is a very long time to keep up this charade nobukado reveals to the men that shinjin had prepared for this possibility with a second much more accurate double they've been training him in all of shinjin's mannerisms and he brings out the shadow warrior kagemusha kagemusha is what i'm going to be calling the double now because mm -hmm. he is the shadow warrior um i don't know that that's necessarily supposed to be the character's name but that's what i'm going to keep calling him but also they said that they spent all this time training him, but then he, later he says he only met him once. Yeah, but he, but also he's he like doesn't seem to know much about how to be him at all. Yeah, he he should have been training with Nobukato this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kagemusha asks where Shinjin is because he was not deigned important enough to know that his lordship has passed away. But when he asked where his lordship was. They didn't tell him. Yeah. Right. They don't so in this, in that moment, like they don't reveal anything to him. They just don't answer him. Yeah. They just ask him a different question. They're yeah. Like, You're not here to ask us stuff. The next day, the armies of the Takeda clan line up along the road as Kagemusha is paraded past them as a first test of his resemblance. A team of spies watch from the nearby mountains, and as sure as they were that he had died, they're doubly sure that this is actually him. Uh, the, these spies are some of my favorite characters <laughs> because because they're, they're two of them are spying like they're all spying for different people yeah and when they all find out that they're all spying for different people like all right well then let's kind of pool our resources <laughs> here <laughs> and see because we all we all have people to answer to yeah. yeah and but Nobunaga and Ieyasu are kind of allied in this I don't know yeah. how close they are to Kenshin but the two guys that are reporting to those two men basically know all the same stuff yeah. Kagemusha waves for a while, but is quickly excited by the applause of his men and races the horse full speed down the line, and the rest of his council can barely keep up with him. They're like, oh god, what is he doing? <laughs> like, trying desperately to catch up. Luckily, the spies duck back behind the mountain before Kagemusha is thrown from his horse to the ground, and the council reprimands him discreetly for fucking around on this horse. If someone had seen that, we could have been in a lot of trouble here. We cut to Nobunaga flipping out when his spies tell him, not only is Shinjin alive, but he's totally fine. There's, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with him. He's racing horses around and everything. He's very confused why Shinjin would call his troops back from around the castle unless he was dead or dying. Late at night, Kagemusha sneaks into a chamber full of treasure, and he finds this enormous jar wrapped in a silk sheet with a drawstring, 
and he takes this little mallet and he starts to bust open a little window into the jar because he's like, oh, what's in here? This is going to be some good shit. And like, I am freaking out at this moment because I am 99% sure I know what is <laughs> yeah. in his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he's got a little like piece of fabric that he's muffling the sound with and he's able to crack these big chunks off of the vase or jar or whatever. And uh, when he opens it up, he looks inside and he, he brings a little torch up so that he can see into it and it's the body of Shinjin. <laughs> and he realizes that the guy he's doubling is now dead and suddenly he has a lot of leverage with the Takeda clan because they were they could basically just put him in a cage every night mm-hmm. because he couldn't spoil anything for anybody. But now it's a big deal. Shinjin looks like he's been preserved in some way. Yeah, he looks here. glazed. He, yeah, <laughs> yes, glazed is a good way to put it. It looks like he's got a nice thin blue hue like there's a sheen though it's shiny almost. it's shiny yeah he looks like he's made of ice <laughs> well I'm, I'm wondering if it's because uh some preservative that they slathered him in well that that but they also just wanted to make it look like it wasn't him like because they needed the actor to be in the scene with yeah the, with the body uh-huh. so it's like well, we'll have it be like he's covered in something. Okay. The rest of the council enters, and they explain to him the importance of keeping the death a secret. Kagemusha still seems very traumatized by essentially discovering his own corpse in this jar. If he's not willing to continue doubling Shinjin, they must kill him. But if he does it for the next three years, he will be rewarded handsomely. Yamagata says that this is no time for killing, and he can tell that Kagemusha doesn't want to do this. So he says, you know what, just release him. It's fine. The next day... They're going to cast his body into Lake Suwa in accordance with his wishes. And spies watch this rowboat go out into the, the foggy water, and then it comes back without the jar. They're watching from this, like, there was a, a shack that was near the lake that's collapsed now. I think it's a shipwreck. Well, is it, it a shipwreck? It's, it's, it is worn wood that seems to be sort of crashed into the beach, but it's it's oh. not clear if it's a shack that's fallen over or like the hull of a ship. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was like a tipped over cabin, but maybe it was a shipwreck. But also hiding in this same shipwreck then is uh, Kagemusha watching the ceremony because now he's like invested in it. I thought for sure he, when they were debating whether or not he was alive and he, he was just going to finally step up to it here. And just be like, hey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here, you yeah, jerks. Go right? tell him I'm alive. That's what I was waiting for. But I think he's a little scared to do that. And maybe he's not dressed right to believably be That's fair. The, the Lord here. But um, I love this shot from outside of the shack where, because he moves to this smaller window in the back corner when he mm-hmm. when the spies move into it. And they're looking through one window and he's looking through this weird slanted window on the, on the far side of it. He overhears the spies discussing Shinjin's likely death before they leave. And suddenly he's on board for this plan to, to pose as, as Lord Shinjin. He rushes to the council to tell them about the spies and insists that someone kill them before word gets out that Shinjin is dead. But they just stand around like, well, we're screwed either way. We don't have a double now. Like, we don't have a convincing close-up double, so we can't do anything without your help. And that's when he finally collapses and, like, agrees to play Shinjin for them for no reward and because it's in the interest of the clan. Also, kill the spies. Yes. Or come up with a reason that you just dropped a giant jar in the lake. Which they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we cut to a crowd passing a large sign that says, a jar of sake was donated to the god of the lake. <laughs> and the spies read the sign and they're like, god damn it. I was sure that was him. And it's like, why would you believe that sign? How stupid of you. Just so you know, he's still alive and that was just sake. <laughs> that night Kagemusha Sign Shinjin <laughs> yeah <laughs> why did he say he's still alive 
That night, Kagemusha attends a theater performance, and the spies get a closer look at the clearly living duplicate. The next day, a woman dresses the heir to the throne of the clan, Shinjen's grandson, Takemaru. His father was skipped over, and when the kid asks why, the woman really doesn't seem to know. She's just like, oh, I don't know what happened about that. I don't know if it's that she doesn't want to tell him, or she literally doesn't know. Katsuyori, the kid's father, has been declared a mere guardian for the heir, though he is the direct son of of Shinjin. The one who lived. Yes. Kagemusha is presented to Takemaru with the council in the know waiting with bated breath for the child's reaction. At first the kid says he looks different but the biggest difference he can explain out loud is that he isn't scary anymore <laughs> and everyone laughs very relieved. Kagemusha seems to fall in love with this kid immediately and just yanks him into his lap for a big hug. I which like, I don't think is something Shinjin used to right, do. Right which I feel like is immediately out of character for him to do. Yeah, but I, I think it's honestly fine. As long as the kid thinks it's his grandpa, it doesn't matter if he's doing things that are out of character because... Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, everybody else in the room is going to also notice this is out of character, though. It seems from this shot like everyone else in the room knows already. Maybe. Because everyone else is just like watching like, oh, God, oh, God, why doesn't he mm-hmm. think he's the same? Right, but like if everybody else in the room knows, then it doesn't matter if this kid like says anything right now right because the only people he's gonna be interacting with directly already already know know. so i think i think there are people here that don't know maybe but either way it's probably better that he lets some of himself through the performance because he can't be 100 percent shinjin the whole time so he's he's less likely to cause a problem if they're like oh you know i saw him hug his kid one time or the grandkid (laughs) one time you know when they were reuniting after the the rumor that he died you know how battle makes you snugglier yeah people say that i killed killed like a hundred people i really need a hug today (laughs) nobukado leads kagemusha to his chamber and reveals a hidden guard in the wall it's pretty sweet he just like slides open the wall and there's just Mm -hmm. four dudes waiting there full time just hey you need anything need someone dead we will kill whoever the guard all know that he's a double and his three attendants and two pages all introduce themselves it starts with them mourning Shinjin's death. Nobukado tells Kagemusha that these men will teach him manners for his meeting with Shinjin's mistresses tonight. The greetings become less formal as they get comfortable, and Kagemusha is very casual with them. But when he starts mimicking Shinjin exactly, leaning on his armrest and stroking his mustache, his guard contingent starts straightening up, believing for a moment that Shinjin has not died and this was all a test. <laughs> Later, we see a team of men trying to train Shinjin's horse, a horse that has never let anyone but Shinjin ride it. To avoid suspicion, they agree to tell people that his recent injuries will prevent him from riding his horse. While a similar worry is brought up about Shinjin's mistresses, possibly noticing a difference, Yamagata jokes that Shinjin's injuries mean he must refrain from mounting the mistresses as well. (laughs) They worry a bit about how long Shinjin's son will go along with all of this. At dinner with the mistresses, Kagemusha breaks for a moment and tells everyone that he's a double for Shinjin and that Shinjin is dead and they all just bust up laughing, including Nobukado and eventually even Kagemusha himself starts laughing. But I do feel like he was trying to give up here. And yeah. then when everyone just started laughing, he's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> that didn't work. I guess I'm still Shinjin. His mistresses flirt with him throughout dinner, but they're very disappointed to learn that they will not be sharing his bed tonight. Ieyasu speaks with an advisor about Shinjin's bizarre actions, retreating to their territory when they had Nobunaga against the ropes. Ieyasu commands an attack against the Takeda outpost in Suruga to see how they react to it. 
In Saruga, it seems like Shinjin's son, Katsuyori, heads a small splinter faction of the Takeda clan. He basically does things his own way out here because yeah. he's separated from the rest of them. His closest advisor says, even if he is not the declared heir, he is the current head of the clan because obviously this kid can't be the head of the clan and Yamagata has no right to sure. the throne. We learn here that the reason he was skipped over is because Shinjin had a child with a member of another clan and wasn't comfortable making the son of a rival clan member the heir to their clan. I feel like then you don't go killing your other son. Yeah. Like maybe be more Well, maybe careful. they were both. Who knows? <laughs> or maybe he killed that one first and then had another son. It's like, dang. Shoot. So she instead, kept the other one around. Yeah. So instead, he chose Katsuyori's son, who is only one quarter rival blooded. Though I looked into it, and the grandchild's mother was actually the adopted daughter of rival Lord Nobunaga. So maybe adoption doesn't really account for much. <laughs> the kid is, he's the child of a half-rival father. And an adopted rival mother. So now he's like three quarters rival. <laughs> um, but it's not his blood. Katsuyori and his advisor move to the windows of the building, which overlook a lake with a breeze blasting into the building through their billowing kimonos. Katsuyori asks his advisor, if I'm in charge, then why did my father forbid me from flying his banner? The Takeda army has the three banners, the fire, forest, and wind. And then the fourth banner, mountain, was Shinjin's personal banner. His advisor suggests that his father forbid him from using the mountain banner because he intended for his son to surpass him. Shinjin's grandson, Takemaru, asks Kagemusha why his banner is a mountain, and an advisor asks the kid to recite what is written on the banner, and the kid does. Swift as the wind, quiet as a forest, fierce as fire, immovable as a mountain. The Lord is that mountain, both in battle and at home. He is steadfast, like a mountain. When his forces attack, first the horsemen, attack swift as the wind, Second, the lancers raise a forest of spears, advancing with silent resolve. Third, more horsemen engulf the enemy ranks as mercilessly as fire. And the Lord is always behind them, watching over them, immovable as a mountain. That is why our army, from general to foot soldier, can fight so resolutely. Immovable as a mountain, the Lord is that mountain. So we call him the mountain. Kagemusha is hanging on every word of this, even more fascinated than the kid, and this small speech will inform his portrayal of Shinjin for the rest of the movie. Katsuyori rushes into Takeda's stronghold with word of the attack on Suruga. Nobukado says that they will need to have a meeting with people outside the circle of their secret tonight to discuss a response. He recommends Kagemusha just stay quiet and listen to the recommendations of the generals, and then just agree with whatever plan of action they settle on, and then stand to leave. So mm -hmm. he's just like, we'll figure it out, we'll say the plan, you go, great, and you get up and you walk out yeah. of the room. That's the end of it. That night in the conference, Katsuyori tries to put Kagemusha on the spot by demanding a specific course of action from him in, in the middle of the meeting. He's like, yeah. no, I think we need to hear what our Lord Shinjin has to say. Mm -hmm. And should we attack or defend? You need to answer this right now. And Kagemusha thinks back on the Lord's banner, and he says, hold still. Do not attack. And then he just gets up and walks out, and Katsuyori's like, fuck. Like, this is <laughs> such a stupid plan because yeah. I thought the guy was just going to break and admit who he was, but instead he picked the thing I don't want to do, and now I have to go along with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Uh, the council agrees that Katsuyori will be a problem for them moving forward, but they're very thankful for Kagemusha slapping him down with the correct decision in front of everybody. <laughs> Other advisors worry that Kagemusha's quick wits could be a problem for them as well. That night, Kagemusha has a nightmare that starts with Shinjin breaking out of his burial jar, and he starts chasing Kagemusha around this surreal landscape 
it's like a colorful stage, but I can't tell if the surface is made to look like the water of the lake that yeah. he was in. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's weird because at first the, the, the rolling uh, landscape made me think that like it was sands trying to look like water. Yeah. But then they come across this area that, that sort of glistens that looks like that's supposed to be, in fact, the lake. Yeah. But it's all like interesting like painted skies and honestly it kind of reminded me of xanadu because they're on like that stage area that yeah. keeps mm-hmm. changing and has a sunset and like <laughs> it reminds me of uh the adventures of baron munchausen when they're yeah. doing the play well because it just it 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 screams soundstage is yeah, what it, it does it does that's true yeah he wakes suddenly and his guards enter to check on him he blames his screams on a dream about being surrounded by a million enemies but we saw the dream. There was only one other guy in there. Um, Nobunaga rallies his troops and prepares for action. He tells one of his men to get word to Ieyasu that while he's attacking Asai, Ieyasu should strike against Shinjin. On their way out of the castle, they are blessed by a trio of Anglo priests, and Nobunaga shouts up, Amen! <laughs> before they depart. Amen! He remembers that one of the priests is a medicine man and suggests sending him to Shinjin for a checkup and to get a report of his well-being. I think it's su- that's like a super clever plan because yeah. it's like, oh, we just want the best for you. But you he also, he sort of launders it too because he's not sending him as a representative of himself. Yeah. He says, because someone says, well, Shinjin's not going to let you send a doctor to check up on him. And so he says, well, his father has been banished and there's all these rumors that he died. So let's say that Nobutura was the person who sent this doctor in so the, his they they speak with his father and his father agrees to go along with this plan to bring the doctor to him a group of horsemen report to katsuyori that there are turncoats in the clan and that noda castle and nagashino castle have fallen to ieyasu which is part of the the attack that he put on while nobunaga was headed in the opposite direction obviously katsuyori is livid because he demanded a military response and Kagemusha shut it all down, despite being a common thief and not the rightful heir to the clan. Word gets back to Kagemusha and his council that Katsuyori is leading his men against Takatenjin Castle. The castle would be a good strategic choice, but even Shinjin himself was unable to take this castle, so Katsuyori is unlikely to succeed in this effort. I would think that he would have a smaller army at his disposal, sort of being a splinter group. He does, but it's too small, the group that he has. Yeah, but I, but doesn't he succeed at his efforts? He does, because his only chance here is if they send an army flying Shinjin's banners behind Katsuyori. A messenger arrives with the priest healer, and he says he was sent by Shinjin's father to check on him after he heard of his injuries. The council is worried that Shinjin's father will be able to tell that Kagimusha is not his son. Before he's invited to see his son, a guard takes Nobutura's sword. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, let me just take this. I don't even trust you with your own son. Nobukado explains that their armies pulled back when Shinjin was weak with flu after the Battle of Mikata. Kagemusha enters with his grandson in tow. Kagemusha's father asks how the wound from another battle with Lord Kenshin has healed, and Nobukado insists all that remains of that wound is the tale to tell, <laughs> because it's not there at all. Mm-hmm. The doctor takes his pulse, and we cut to May of 1574. Previous year was 1573, no month specified. Now we're getting more specific. This is May of 1574. Katsuyori's troops are approaching the castle walls and being fired down on by a line of riflemen along the battlements. Kagemusha leads a reinforcing army behind him. 
So that's why he was right. able to take the castles because the full Takeda clan was behind him. It wasn't just the one battalion. Yeah, I mean, I guess that like he gets upset about this though, obviously, because he doesn't he doesn't want to win just because of his right. father. Yeah, because he's the you know the baby prince character. But did but did his army do anything aside from intimidate? Did they actually attack? I, I think they I think were that, just. I think for sure Katsuyori by himself could not have taken the castle. The mountain army carrying the mountain banner sets up a position on a hill, and Kagemusha takes a seat on a stool overlooking the battlefield. The three other armies, fire, forest, and wind, take their positions around him. We cut to that night, and the flashes of gunfire are enough to light up the sky in multiple colors as Kagemusha watches from the hilltop. Multiple attacks from the Tokugawa and Oda clans draw away the fire, forest, and wind armies, leaving just the mountain army on the hill with Kagemusha. He stands, a bit spooked, and his guards suggest he sit and keep calm. The mountain army starts to move but are called back. Snipers start taking shots at Kagemusha and his guards surround him very quickly, which is incredible dedication, taking yeah. a bullet for not your lord, but a right. guy who looks like him. Right. Uh, two of the guard are shot down before word reaches them that the enemy has actually retreated. I mean, I don't know how many of the guys that got shot down know. I mean, I guess the, they are his pages. They were his pages, yeah. yeah. So they they, they knew know. for sure. Yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. Kagemusha's devastated by these deaths, though. Like, he he's just looking down at their bodies, like, so distraught yeah. about it. Another person suggests that he just sits in the chair and act as though he's already crucified, since his life has now been spared twice by the clan. The enemy forces come around the corner and find his full battalion, complete with Lord Shinjin, sitting unintimidated on the hill, and they immediately turn tail to retreat. Shinjin's armies move to follow the retreating troops until Kagemusha shouts out, Hold still! Do not move! And they follow his instructions here. Which is the first time that he's actually commanding them on the battlefield yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. unprompted by anyone i was hoping for more of that honestly yeah like i was kind of expecting him to come into his own and and become the leader of this clan and it it never really gets beyond this moment yeah he he doesn't have a lot of moments where he his he's in control of what he can do yeah it, it's it's pretty much was that meeting where he had he was forced to make a decision on his own and this moment and in both cases he did probably what shinjin would have done which is to just say no don't pursue them that's a stupid waste of our energy like we need to conserve our men and keep our own clan safe back at nobunaga's castle he gets confirmation from his armies that shinjin is alive and in the best of health he still confides in ieyasu that something tells him shinjin is dead and ieyasu agrees Nobunaga suggests that maybe they both just want him dead so badly that they believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're just like, maybe we're just idiots who really wish he was dead. Wishful thinking. They share a glass of red wine, which they call European sake. <laughs> and Nobunaga takes it like a champ, and then Tokugawa almost spits it all up. And Nobunaga's <laughs> just laughing at him. Katsuyori speaks with his advisor in the fortress on the lake, and the advisor points out that taking the castle back was an accomplishment that proves his worth. Even your father couldn't take this castle. And Katsuyori observes accurately, I think, that he could never have taken it without the support of his father's double. Upon their return, Nobukato speaks with Kagemusha's guard about how great a job Kagemusha is doing. It's as though our late lord has possessed him, and he's charmed Takemura too. He worries how the kid will take it when he learns that his grandfather is a stand-in. He also worries what will happen to Kagemusha when he is no longer needed by the clan. I mean, I don't know why you would tell him 
the truth, like the kid, the truth in the end. Why wouldn't you just pretend that he died now. at that three year mark? Well, even know? that would be sad. I guess that because be he wouldn't devastating. have been as devastated by Shinjin's death as he would be by right. Kagemusha's but there wouldn't death. be a betrayal there. It would just be like I am now mourning what I should have mourned three years ago. Well, maybe that's the second part of that because he's like he's worried about Kagemusha because maybe that probably is the plan is to just kill him. Yeah. at the end of this yeah but it's also a, a really large burden because now a lot of people know this secret and they have to keep it a secret yeah for the rest of their lives that's difficult yeah i mean they don't really from the time that he dies not they don't have to keep it a secret anymore <laughs> i mean presumably some sort of a memo went out when that does happen but we'll get to that uh suddenly there's an uproar as kagemusha is so deep in this role that he's taken the chance of riding shinjin's horse that hates everyone but him Kagimusha is immediately thrown to the ground, and when his mistresses run to him, they notice missing scars and confirm for the crowd that this is a double and not Shinjin. Word makes it to Katsuyori fairly instantly that the secret is out, and he is now in charge. Weirdly, though, we are 18 months into the requested three-year lie, and all of these people knowing somehow never makes it outside the clan walls. Like, they still make it to the three-year mark, even though we're only halfway yeah. there right now. Mm-hmm. So Honestly, they didn't even need Kagemusha for so much of it? I would have cycled out these mistresses. I feel like over time, you're like, as he's starting to quote-unquote heal, mm-hmm. just start like slowly you know, being like, okay, we're done with you. We get a new one in, and then yeah. they have no... I feel no... like that would have been part of the process anyway. Right, and then they have no expectations of scars mm-hmm. or, you know... Wait, what what he was like beforehand or just do like the north korea thing where you're like oh yeah no he magically heals he's he's wolverine this guy like the the wounds just go away yeah. after a while he doesn't poop <laughs> kim, kim jong-un doesn't poop apparently that's true though dennis rodman confirmed it <laughs> kagemusha is escorted outside the fortifications in the rain at the gate he's given envelopes containing rewards for his services to the clan which is better than getting shot, which I expected they were yeah. going to yeah, do as soon as he I gave figured. himself away. Um, but he doesn't want to take the money. He just wants to speak with Takemaru, but he is not afforded this opportunity and is stoned by these men as he's trying to leave the castle. They're just throwing rocks at <sighs> which him. Which is so sad because yeah. he's done such a service to their whole clan. And he basically was living the life of Shinjin, and that was his grandson, essentially. Yeah. Like, he cared about that kid. Yeah. We cut to April of 1575, which I guess is almost a year later, and now Katsuyori is being sworn in as the leader of the clan, and a team of rival spies disperse to inform Nobunaga and Tokugawa that Shinjin has been dead for three years, and somehow they fell for it. So the full lie is out. Everybody knows that he's been dead the whole time. It's not like he just died in a battle. Mm -hmm. Nobunaga sings a song in celebration of Shinjin's life and passing. Katsuyori leads an army along the beach to attack Nobunaga, and along their way, their path is suddenly blocked by a rainbow? Like a horizontal rainbow uh, crosses the beach. (laughs) The men tell him it's a sign from his father that Takeda were told to stay put and defend, but he marches ahead anyway as Kagemusha watches from the weeds, still very invested in the fate of the clan he once led. Now we're getting even more specific. May 21st, 1575. <laughs> Usually a bad sign when you get this specific. It's like when you got The Shining was like just telling you the days of the week and then it's like suddenly you're getting the hour of the day yeah, and you're like, right? uh-oh. It's yeah. getting worse. <laughs> the general of the fire, forest, and wind armies meet on the battlefield and they basically like resign to each other that they're going to die today. Yeah. They all cross their spears and they say, we'll meet you on the other side with Shinjin. Again, hiding in the tall grass, Kagemusha watches a terrible battle unfold. Nobunaga's men are lined up with rifles behind a barricade. 
and Katsuyori sends army after army after army into the slaughter. In the real battle, 12,000 Takeda men were killed versus 6,000 on the other side. But in the film, it looks more like the joint Oda Tokugawa forces didn't lose a single guy because mm-hmm. they're standing behind a wall with rifles the whole time. Yeah. We're treated to about 17 minutes of men and horses just dying in a battlefield. I don't know if this is like an extended version of the movie. Yeah. But it's very depressing and uncomfortable to just watch horses die for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. I, it was super uncomfortable because I feel Some of like them were dead. <laughs> some, some of these horses were actually dead. Some of these horses were probably being restrained in some way because they were like struggling to get up but couldn't get up or medicated in some or way or medicated or injured and it was just it was it was hard to watch a little bit of it and then it went on and on yeah. and on and on I don't know if there's any shots that are actually repeating but there's just so much of like the same horse even where you're just like ugh oh stop just okay we get it it's sad Kagemusha wanders out of the grass, completely devastated. He takes up arms from one of his fallen men, and he approaches the wall of guns himself and is shot several times. We see the empty chairs of Katsuyori and his advisors, suggesting they all retreated when the battle was clearly lost. Kagemusha stumbles out into the lake, bloodied and pale, and sees the banner for the mountain just under the water, and he drowns trying to swim to it. And we just watch him sort of float through the water. Mm Mm-hmm. We slowly push into the banner under the water, and that's the end of our film. Historically, after this battle, Katsuyori survived another seven years to 1582 when he suffered another defeat, surrendering a castle to Nobunaga, his former father-in-law, and committed seppuku, ritual suicide, with his wife and son, Takemaru in the film, and Nobukatsu in real life. I don't know why they changed his name for the movie. Hmm. Effectively ending the Takeda clan. Shinjin's body double brother, Nobu Kato, was captured fleeing the same battle and beheaded. A second son of Katsuyori's, Katsuchika, was two years old when his father committed seppuku and actually escaped this battle with his life to live another century after his father's death before oh dying gosh. at the age of 103. Though I couldn't find any other information on Shinjin's other grandson beside his incredibly long life and it's entirely possible it was just a historical typo and the kid died the same day oh no the oda clan led by lord nobunaga nearly unified japan and is regarded as japan's first great unifier leading japan out of the sengoku period and into the Edo period which lasted until 1868 yeah yeah uh our director here was akira kurosawa he directed hidden fortress which was basically later remade as star wars uh, he also did Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo, Ran, Dreams. His only Oscar nomination was Best Director for Ran in 1986. This film also received nominations for Best Art Direction and Best Foreign Film, but that nomination technically went to the country of origin, in this case Japan. Akira Kurosawa received an honorary Oscar for his cinematic accomplishments in 1990. Writer Masato Ide also wrote the screenplay for Ran. Tatsuya Nakadai played Shinjin, Takeda, and Kagimusha. He does a really great job of playing these two characters as different characters. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I was commenting on that when we were watching the film, that I just loved loved how distinct they were. It, it, it was so clear when he was one versus the other the entire time, and, and the way he was able to so subtly express the differences yeah. was amazing. Yeah, it's really great. 
and it's also just a fun character like i'm i want to go back and look up more of nakadai's movies because i i'm not as familiar with his work but he also plays hanshiro in harikari and he's lord hidetora ichimanji in ran sutomi yamazaki played nobukado takeda that's the brother he's ginjiro takeuchi in kurosawa's higher low and he plays Juzo Okita in Space Battleship Yamato, which is a newer movie, but the cover looked really awesome. <laughs> so I want to look that one up. Uh, Jinpachi Nezu played Sohachiro Tsuchiya. He plays Jiro Masatori Ichimanji in Ran. Daisuke Ryu played Nobunaga Oda. He plays Saburo Nautora Ichimanji in Ran. He also has a special voice appearance in Rintaro's Metropolis anime in 2001, and he was supposed to appear in Scorsese's Silence in 2016, but he showed up drunk to the Taoyan International Airport in Taiwan, and he had an incomplete entry form and got in a fight with the immigration officials and literally broke one of their legs (laughs) at the airport. He was indicted and prohibited from leaving Taiwan and fired from silence. (laughs) Eventually, he made a public apology, paid a fine, and was allowed to return to Japan. There are so many problems with that production. (laughs) Yeah. Masayuki Yui played Ieyasu Tokugawa. Uh, He's also Tango Hirayama in Ran. So a lot of people from Ran in this one. Kaori Mamoi played Atsu Yanokata. She's the mother in Memoirs of a Geisha. Yasuhiro Yamanaka played Ranmaru Mori. He's an actor in Dreams. He's credited as actor in Dreams. Tetsuo Yamashita played Nagahide Niwa, who also played an actor in Ran. Takashi Shimua played Taguchi Gyobu. That's the messenger who announces the arrival of Nobutora uh, Shinjin's father and the doctor priest. This was his final film, but he was a favorite actor of Akira Kurosawa's, having appeared in Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Rashomon, The Hidden Fortress, Throne of Blood, Ikiru, High and Low, Sanjuro, Redbeard, Stray Dog, Drunken Angel, The Bad Sleep Well, The Idiot, Ikimono no Kiroku, Sanshiro Sugata, Scandal, No Regrets for Our Youth, The Men Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail, The Quiet Duel, The Most Beautiful, and Those Who Make Tomorrow, all directed by Kurosawa. That is a lot of films. Yeah. He also plays the president of the railway company in Bullet Train, which is a Sonny Chiba film that inspired the movie Speed. Have you ever seen the Bullet Train? No. It's literally a train that has a bomb on it, and if it goes below a certain speed. so it's. But he's the Keanu of it. It's great. Um, He's also Dr. Yamane in the first Godzilla and a news editor in the first Mothra film. I really like this movie. Um, I don't care as much for the cinematography. I think I like Akira Kurosawa's black and white stuff better. Uh, th- there seemed to be a lot of really shaky setups. That I remember one where there was like this dramatic pan from the top of a tower and down to a crowd, and it, it you kept seeing like the camera like jostling, jostling. Like they like hmm. they didn't have a smooth motion. Uh, and there were a couple of shots like that where it makes me think that they probably either broke a lot of equipment out in the field yeah. and were like trying that to cobble things together to make things work better. This yeah. is why you don't give them original, uh, you know, outfits from the era. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but this is also 1980. So the steady cam is just barely getting used like three yeah, months yeah. ago for the shining. But, yeah. um, and I, I like that it's, it looks like impressionistic art, the whole, yeah. like the dream sequences and everything. But I just feel like 
I don't know why the colors bother me, but they do. Like, I feel like if it were black and white, it would bother me less. But the, the colors clash with each other so much that it just feels weird to me. It, and especially when he's standing on the hillside watching the gunfire in the sky, that it looks artificial to me because it's all these greens and blues and reds. And I know mm-hmm. it's on purpose, mm-hmm. but it just it looks so strange to me that it almost takes me out of the battle. I'm, I was so impressed by the scale, just how yes. monumental this film was. Uh, every time you just saw hundreds of guys on horses coming yeah. down uh, into battle was just absolutely incredible. I don't know how they managed the scale of this film. Just uh, lots and lots of money. I mean, if it feels like it got right everything that the big red one got wrong for me, which is that the scale felt very small yeah. all over the place in but that I, movie. But I think that at the same time, I was very engaged in the parts that weren't right the battle and weren't monumental and you know because i I think that's a that's a uh a credit to our actors here that they were just they were so delightful to watch in these smaller emotional scenes yeah that you were just you were in it the whole time and if i had to complain about one thing about the film is a little bit of the editing i think we could have tightened up a lot of this stuff and this is an extended version okay so perhaps perhaps a different version i would have liked a little bit better but a there was way too many dead horses at the end yeah and the rest of it like as majestic and beautiful as the shots were i think a lot of it held a little too long sure could we could have tightened it up yeah but i mean we're only making these criticisms because this is so close to being a perfect movie yeah that these are we're just pointing out the things that we may have had a problem with but there's so much here to appreciate the performances are all phenomenal the writing is great and the fact that it's I mean, there's obviously details are fudged a little bit, but that it's based on a true story. Generally, historically accurate. Yeah, yeah and, it's, it's and fascinating. These are huge, important figures in Japanese history that they're dealing with, which I think is why you get so much of the like the mutual respect that they have for each yeah. other. Because that you don't want anyone to be like watching this movie and go like, oh, well, why is that guy the bad guy? Like, that's the person that like I identify with, or that that I felt like like th- that that clan represents m- me most. Yeah, and to and. So it's nice to well, show all, these people all going, well, no, it's sad if he died, even right. if he's our enemy, because we're all honorable men. And all of the clans had the same goals. Nobody was was more honorable in their goals than the other. They all just wanted the same thing. Yeah. And, and they certainly didn't want him to die from a random gunshot. Right. Like, they're all like, it's like, well, yeah, you did. Like, they weren't mad at the at the sniper, but they were also like. He deserved a cooler death than that. Yeah, it's like they really wanted the sniper to miss i feel like that because they're really like scrutinizing the sniper when he's setting up for a shot it's like there's no way he did this because there's no way in hell that this happened it's not that easy to take down this guy uh and uh but yeah like i I think they all didn't they won't they wanted to meet him in battle or to have him be defeated yeah not to just be assassinated yeah yeah um it's obviously a thumbs up for me oh yeah it's definitely an up for sure um letterboxed where do you have this one, Jess? I have it pretty high. Um, I kind of wish I had watched not an extended version. I might have it a few spots higher. Um, I have it in 11th place. Uh, it's just below Breaker Morant and just above Night of the Juggler. Probably would have been a few spots up if it maybe wasn't an extended cut. I think that sure. I might have liked a little bit shorter version of this. Um, but overall, it was great. Um, and I'm probably just a little biased against a foreign film being uh like 
higher on my list because I'm I'm just lazy. So reading, you know, it's I, I, <laughs> I liked the film a lot. But in terms of which one I'm going to watch first, you know, it's like, well, I'll watch Breaker Brand first because it's less work. Yeah. <laughs> Still need the subtitles probably. <laughs> Richard, what do you think? I don't have this probably as high as you guys. Um, I did enjoy it. Um, but it's probably not a movie I would watch again anytime real soon. Um, what about tonight? Uh, <laughs> what are you doing later? <laughs> uh, and, and this is coming from, I mean, I, and obviously you guys know I watch a lot of like Japanese, mostly yeah. anime stuff. Yeah. Have you but, seen Metropolis? Uh, I've seen Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Okay, and, but nothing. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I've, I've seen the Metropolis. Okay. Metropolis yeah. um, I was just making a, trying to make a joke, but it's not funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes, I have seen it. And Fritz it's Lang's is really good too. Yeah. It's uh, decent. Good job, Fritz Lang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I have this at uh, 31. Uh, uh, so it puts it uh, below Blue Lagoon, but above the Earthling. Okay. Um, I actually have it in 10th place, which for me means that it is just above Mad Max and just below Little Darlings. But I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Elephant Man, which IMDb describes like so. A Victorian surgeon rescues a heavily disfigured man who is mistreated while scraping a living as a sideshow freak. We leave you now with the trailer for The Elephant Man. Life is full of surprises. Ladies and gentlemen, the terrible elephant man. At first, you will want to turn away from him. Then you may find him a silent, unresisting target for your ridicule. Stand up. Stand up. Turn around. Mister, why is your head so big, mister? <laughs> but if you come to know him... Have you always been the way you are now? You will begin to see beyond the perversion of his form. Are you in any pain? Are your parents still alive? Your father? Your mother? and discover the beauty in the beast. He is English, he is 21, his name is John Merrick. At no time have I met with such a perverted or degraded version of a human being as this man. Am I to assume then that he is ultimately incurable? Yes, sir. This hospital doesn't accept incurables. The freak hunting, this is monstrous. If you ask my opinion, he's only being stared at all over again. People pay money to see your monster, Mr. Treves. I'll collect it. Yeah, the monster, yeah, that. Freak. What was it all for? Why did I do it? And perhaps for the first time, you will understand the true meaning of courage and human dignity. I am not an animal. I am a human being. You're not an elephant man at all. You're Romeo. Anthony Hopkins, Anne Bancroft, Sir John Gielgud, Wendy Hiller, and John Hurt as 
the Elephant Man. Coming from Paramount Pictures. <laughs>